Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 295. Joining us this week on a slightly, slightly early episode of the podcast, our good friend Luke Riddell of Elected News joins us as we do a sort of a recap, long overview, a long look back at everything that happened in the New York 22 district congressional race and what that means going forward. Also this week, really exciting history lesson this week about our our city of, of naming, the Uticast's home city. We're going to talk a little bit about the 189th birthday of Utica, New York for history lessons. All that this week, uh, folks, and so much more as I prepare for my 13-hour drive. I still had time to pull this together for you guys because who loves you? That's right, me, baby. We're happy, as always, to have you here. Oh, Sunday episode. Mm. Sunday episode of the show. I am still here, but only only for a couple more hours as I prepare myself for my long 14-hour drive through the Midwest. Not really excited about it, Kevin. No, it's going to be great. I've lined up some stuff. Frame your attitude. It's going to be amazing. I've lined up a couple things to keep me entertained. I see. I got some podcasts lined up that I've been mm. saving, like a couple like series-style mm. podcasts. I've been Feels saving. like it might be the time to try a book on tape. You're way ahead of me, actually. That was my next point. Streets was, ahead. Streets ahead, yeah. Streets ahead. Uh, I I was saying maybe this is the time that I pull the trigger on like an Audible account and get myself like some uh, some books on tape style for this trip. I don't know if you need like to get an Audible account. I think you can acquire books on tape without having to go that far. Well, yeah, on, on like Spotify, I got books on tape on Spotify. I take a look. You never know. I bet you can find something I've, for free. I've actually looked for books on tape on Spotify, and they do have a few. But it's like public domain shit. So if like you want to hear like Ben Franklin's a lot of great books in the public domain. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just a lot of driving. I'm glad mm. that I rented the car. I'm not taking my car. What kind of car are you getting? I think it's a Hyundai Elantra or similar. I oh, was told. Oh, that'd be nice. You'd yeah, be out there. Hyundai Elantra. Uh, I thought I really did think about for a minute just being like, watch me roll up in like a Cadillac. You at least get a price. It's it was uh, like a hundred dollars more than I would have had to. Oh, that's like not. Terrible. It's not terrible. That's not terrible. The problem is, it would be more gas on a yeah. Cadillac running yeah. like eight cylinders, but yeah. as opposed to the Elantra, which has like two. Yeah, <laughs> we're going like 60 miles an hour, I'll get there next week. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah, I'm a little concerned that I've been told that I'm going to be driving through some sort of snowstorm. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know if that means that I wait until later in the day, do you know what I mean, and go like at night and drive through the night and go in like Tuesday morning, or if I... I just... feel like the move is to send it, as soon as you can send it, get going, and then just play it by ear. Like, if you get out there and you're out somewhere halfway and it's, like, wild out there, don't be a hero. Like, they got towns yeah. everywhere. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, just, like, yeah, pull off sure. somewhere, like, park at a Denny's and cool out, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I'm always, if I've got to take a trip like that or I have to, you know, take some, any kind of long journey or we're in the car for a long time, I prefer to just go. 
And I'm getting, like, let's just go right now. You know what I mean? Get started as soon as possible. Well, I'm getting teased by the family about it. They're like, because they're giving me a hard time. They're like, what if it's... I'm like, well, I can't control the weather. Like, what do you want me to do? Your, like, your mom is and, jealous. That's what That's what you're talking about. <laughs> it's not just her. Uh, what do they want you to do? You can't control the weather. They want me to leave, like, Wednesday. I'm like, well, like, I got to come back that, that, on some other time. Like, I can't... That, like, defeats the whole purpose. Defeats the whole purpose. It's like, you keep pushing it back, pushing it back. It snows all the time. It's been snowing. It's been snowing. It's, it's been snowing. snowing in North America for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean for next week's pot? Nothing really. I think the way things will turn out is I will probably stumble home... It means you get it when you get it. It'll probably be really, really late on Sunday, is my thought. My current plan at the moment is to wake up on Sunday, whenever mm. I wake up, have breakfast, lunch, whatever, say my farewells, and bug out. So and does then, that not just mean we record the podcast like regular on Monday? It means nothing? Well, it means I gotta prep the show while I'm on the road, which isn't that big of a deal. Like, I have to do all the prep work for the show. I'm out in Chicago. Maybe I'll do an interview while I'm out there. I could do it that way. Yeah, if you get just that depends. interview and you come yeah. back on Monday, we could just shoot the shit for a little while and yeah, figure out what yeah. to do. You know what uh, I mean? I'll catch up on what goes on here in Utica. I'll give you the Utica report. Because <laughs> you'll come back with the full Chicago report, so it'll be easy. Yeah, so, I mean, expect a show next week. I don't exactly know what we'll get for a show. I'm out do an interview out in Chicago while I'm out there. We'll see. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, mostly because I'll get to help my sister uh, with her job. My sister owns a catering company out there. You guys know if you've been on the listening to the pod for a long time. She's sure. been on the show before. Mm. Uh, so I had to do this this horrendous two and a half hour save serve safe food mm. handling yeah. online prep course. It was yeah. fifteen dollars and it was two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not naive. I understand why you're doing it. I understand the the reason to do it. Mm-hmm. What I didn't appreciate was the actual presentation of this content to me. Yes. Because what this guy... I don't know if you've ever seen a video like this. I'm sure you've all seen some videos. But for the folks out there in the world, uh, they try and do that thing in the video where they're like, we know this is boring. Yeah. But that being said, we have to talk to you about why it takes 30 seconds to wash your hands. Here's why it takes... It's like, you could just tell me this. Yeah. Just tell it to me. I don't need the cutesy, like, don't. Don't, I don't need the jokes. I don't need that. I don't need any of like just, the. Let's just, you know, let's yeah, get right move through. It. And that's the problem. It's not that I understand that this was important, and I'm glad that I did it. Sure. All of this information could have been presented to me in like a spreadsheet, hmm. and I could have learned it in like 40 minutes and taken the test and passed it, right? Because once I took the test, I was like, this is all basic understanding anyway. So that was a real downer, but uh, I'm glad that's over. Um,. I appreciate all the, and this is like the joy of technology, I appreciate nowadays that you don't have to do all that shit at one go. Right? Like, mm. in a different era, like if you went to work and they were showing you this video, you'd have to sit there for two hours straight and watch this whole video, right? Right. I did this over like the course of two days, broke it down, I do, while I was doing dishes, stuff like that, you know what I mean? I'm like bringing my laptop around yeah. and doing it in chunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, driving to Chicago, should be fun, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, before we get into the news this week... Oh, by the way, uh, Luke Rudell is back. Had mm-hmm. a really nice conversation with Luke. We went about 45 minutes, actually, which I didn't realize at the time. But we broke down a lot of stuff about uh, Brindisi and Tenney and the race and going forward with you know, Congresswoman uh, Tenney and what that means. Mm-hmm. We, you know, again, we spent 45 minutes on it. So, Kev, I don't have any stuff for you or me to talk about necessarily about it. Uh, any thoughts you have on the on anything going forward? Uh, I... Not really. Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's been over. Yeah, it's, it's been, been over for yeah. so long. Like, no, I'm yeah. not. I'm not interested in continuing to try to reanimate the weekend of Bernie's corpse yeah. this congressional race. Yeah. Like, no, I'm good on that. Yeah. Uh, well, we had a great conversation though about what the next 
couple years looks like, whether you think we'll see Brindisi Tenny 3, uh, what his thoughts are going forward, all that kind of stuff. Great conversation with him uh, going forward. And before we get the news, I want to shout out somebody in the Observer Dispatch. I've been reading this uh, ongoing uh, story in the Observer Dispatch they're doing called Learning Curve. It's by uh, Alex Cooper and Amy Nefroth. And it's really good. I don't know if anyone has an Observer Dispatch. It's all about uh, students coming to the uh, United States and trying to learn in the Utica school system uh, coming from immigrant backgrounds. It's really good. It's been a really nice series. I don't. They're not paying me to do this. I just happened to read it and enjoy it over the last week. So if you're seeing it, wanted to shout out the good work they've been doing on this story. So that's all I have on that. All right. Okay, ready to get into the news? Sure. Always. <laughs> uh, the Senate voted on Saturday to acquit former President Donald Trump of inciting the deadly insurrection on January 6th, marking the close to an impeachment trial that laid bare the horrors of the riots and highlighted the country's halting efforts to uh, extricate itself from the Trump era. This is from Politico.com. Uh, most Senate Republicans sidestepped the central argument that Trump's uh, month-long campaign to subvert the election, as well as his incendiary remarks uh, hours before storming the Capitol, and demanded that he be convicted and barred from uh, presidency in the future. In the end, there were seven Republicans who supported this conviction. That is 10 votes short of the two-thirds threshold required. Um, even Senate Republican leaders who voted to acquit Trump rebuked the former president, acknowledging that the House had proven its case and that Trump had violated his oath of office. Mitch McConnell, in like a weird Mitch McConnellism, like voted to acquit, but then also called out Trump after saying he was morally and practically responsible for the insurrections. So then why didn't you vote guilty? I don't understand. Um, the 57-43 vote marked the first time since 1868 that a majority of the Senate voted to convict a president on an impeachment charge. And the seven Republicans who broke ranks are the most to support the conviction of the president uh, from their own party in American history. Uh... I mean, I'd like to hope that this will be the end of having to hear about Trump, <laughs> but I doubt you. I doubt that it will. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Did we, what did we gain from this besides just getting people on record for for what they they think about the impeachment trial? Uh I mean, we don't, we don't gain anything. Yeah, but I I don't know. I feel like I didn't watch this impeachment hearing nearly as much as the first one, mm. and I think because it was I was a lot more compelling than the first one. It was. But I felt I think I felt much more cynical about the chances of anything coming from it. Than I, did. I don't I don't think I'm yeah I, I couldn't imagine being serious minded either time and expecting anything to come from it. Right. You know what I mean? I think that was the reason why you'll get a lot of people pointing to like oh you know they capitulated they rolled over they didn't try that hard. Uh, realistically, I mean even Mitch McConnell kind of signaled leaving the door open for uh, criminal proceedings going forward. You know there's a lot of going to be various lawsuits, civil suits, different stuff like financial dealings and the Trump organization, sketchy loans and all this other crazy stuff. So uh, you're certainly right that it's not you know it's not just going to fade away and not be heard from again. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the idea is that like Trump is a is still the power broker in the minds for a lot of these Republicans going forward. That he's going to it's important you have to have Trump support in the next two years going forward. And I think that's what a lot of these these senators look at. That's right? what they're scared of. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if that's true. I don't think it's true either. Because I, I, I just, you know, and maybe it, it ties into here because it seems like, you know, Claudia won this district essentially running as a pro-Trump candidate. Mm-hmm. But if you look in Georgia, you know, Kelly Loeffler lost essentially running as a as the Trump platform. So Yeah, well, I mean, you, the, the, Sen- the Senate... The Senate being so different from the House of Representatives, the race will tie a little bit more directly to the presidency anyways. But yeah, around here, the race wasn't really about that. 
But also keep in mind that election was held on November 3rd. A lot of things have happened since November 3rd, and a lot of uh, tenors in various districts have changed, and a lot of people's minds have changed. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out going forward. But I think anybody looking at the idea of, like, just Trump holding a, like, super lead over the whole party and still being, like, the de facto unquestioned head of the entire apparatus, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to be the case. No, and I hope not. Uh, and, you know, and I really, and I think this is just, like, me, like, selfishly, like, n- hoping that Trump would just go away. And, like, this trial, as compelling as it was, and you're right, there was a lot more stuff from this this impeachment trial that was really striking and really, like, left an impact. But I really just hope I don't have to look at his face or hear from him for an extended period of time. <laughs> and that's just my, my personal, my personal mm. thoughts. Uh, let's move on to the current president, shall we? Uh, President Joe Biden announced on Thursday that he'd informed Congress he would rescind the national emergency declaration on the U.S.-Mexico border that was put in place by former President Trump in February of 2019 to redirect billions of dollars for construction of the wall along the southern border. Love to see it. <laughs> Never. I mean, I want you are going to see, too, like a, a lot of the Biden initial stuff is going to be just direct response to stuff from the Trump administration in the same way that a lot of the Trump administration felt like a direct response to the Obama administration. Well, you've got a. I mean, it it'll it will certainly be portrayed that way. Yeah. Um, that's if you're rolling back dangerous or harmful policies. Right. That's kind of the way it's got to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> and people like to you know, everything is like the football game right. narrative now, where it's like, oh, well, now he's going right back against this. But like, yeah, realistically, you know, if if it's going to be a difference in policies, there's a lot of things that were put into place that were sort of skirted in with acting directors and not yeah. full approval that's going to have to get, you know, pulled back and, and tightened up and everything. Uh, and also positive news on the uh, coronavirus front, as President Biden announced on Thursday, his administration finalized an order for 200 million more doses of the COVID-19 vaccine to be delivered by July 2021, uh, adding to the 400 million doses uh, we already had to this date. Within three weeks, round-the-clock work of so many people, people standing behind me and in front of me, We've now purchased enough vaccine uh, supply to vaccinate all Americans, and we're working to get those vaccines in the arms of millions of people, uh, Biden said at remarks at the National Institute of Health. So that's good. More vaccine for everybody. Uh, They're implying that it may actually mean we get the vaccine months faster, which will save more lives, which would be really good. Um, It's funny. My my mom, I I know she hates when I talk about her, but she got the second vaccine just recently. And she feel you can tell that she feels like a, better about the world. Like, she's so happy. As she should. As she should. As she should. That's great. Uh, Yeah. And then also this week, uh, this goes in line with the new CDC uh, prevention roadmap put out this week that was agreed to by the American Federation of Teachers that will allow uh, nation schools during the COVID pandemic to reopen. Uh, This is a quote from Randy Weingartner, president of the AFT. Today, the CDC met fear of the pandemic with facts and evidence for the first time Since the start of this pandemic, we have a rigorous roadmap based on science that our members can use to fight for safe reopening. So, good signs on the reopening schools safely front. A lot of this uh, hinges on teachers themselves being given the vaccine before they are allowed to teach in classrooms. So, you're essentially opening up a platform for uh, educators to be vaccinated. Protect the teachers. Protect the teachers, yeah. So I love this. I love both of these stories. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it's weird, right? With coronavirus stuff, I've seen in the news a lot of people saying, like, the numbers are down. But also the numbers were at their height in the wintertime uh, because it's winter and Christmas and holidays and stuff. So you don't want to ever be too, like, hey, things are looking mm-hmm. up, you know, especially with all the variant stuff. 
But I do feel positive reading more and more things like this and less, and, you know, where there's more vaccines and we have plans based on science. That does make me feel somewhat more positive than I did, let's say, three weeks ago. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to do? Let's do. Uh, let's do some people. Who I'm done with this week? So okay. people. Well, people. I'm not necessarily done because I didn't really know much about these people, but everyone else seems done with them. Kevin, are you familiar with Gina Carano? Yeah. She plays Cara Dune on The Mandalorian, uh, and as of this week, she will no longer be on the show. Uh, she, a Lucasfilm spokesman, uh, spokesperson earlier in the week said that she is no longer employed by Lucasfilms and that no plans for her to be employed are in place for the future. Uh, this comes after a day in which the hashtags Fire Gina Carano trended on Twitter for hours. Uh, this came after months of complaints about her online presence, including mocking COVID mask mandates, spreading conspiracies about the U.S. election, uh, liking posts disparaging Black Lives Matter movement, and deriding pronoun usage. So she seems like a nice lady. Mm. <laughs> I mean, again, it's it's a conversation that I feel like we have every single day about something or about cancel culture and all this sort of conversation. And again, it comes back to a simple thing. You can say what you want, but expect consequences for the things you say whether they come from the places that employ you or the people who are around you i don't it doesn't seem all that confusing to me mm. yeah i yeah i mean what if you're gonna act like an asshole <laughs> sometimes people are gonna be like i don't want to be around this asshole we just can, shouldn't keep this person around i love when people who like people who like gina carano are like trying to make it seem like she's been like they've been huge fans of Gina Carano forever. Suddenly now, like oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. my my favorite one. Like, oh, you never saw Haywire, bro. Like, you, you don't, don't adopt, understand. Don't adopt anybody. <laughs> uh, and my biggest uh, loser of the week, actually, uh, financial advisor Dave Ramsey. You familiar with Dave Ramsey? Vaguely. Dave Ramsey went on Fox News this week and criticized the idea of another round of stimulus checks for the country during the coronavirus pandemic. This was his quote. I don't believe in a stimulus check because if $600 to $1,400 changes your life, you were pretty much screwed anyway. You've got other issues going on. Uh, fuck this dude. 100%. <laughs> like, what a shitty thing to say from your high horse. These people don't know any better. There's so many of them that truly don't know any better. <laughs> yeah, he went on to say there are other issues in people's life like career or debt problems. If a stimulus uh, is that impactful to a person. I'm not talking down to folks. Yes, you are. I've been bankrupt, I've been broke, I work with people every day who are hurting. I love people. I want people to be lifted up. But this, again, is just political rhetoric. Yeah, apparently people who are struggling and need help, like real people in the streets, in the world, that's all political rhetoric. Like all the suffering of regular people and like the average status quo, this is all like part of some long political game. That's what I, that's what I don't understand. I'll never get it. Like, I do get it. I just, uh, it makes me angry. What do you mean? Like, this idea, like, this guy doesn't understand that there's a world around him that, like, struggles. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't buy that people don't... It feels disingenuous. It feels like a guy who knows that there's a world around him that struggles and just wants to say some bad shit. Do you know uh, what I'm saying? Sometimes that's kind of true, but I think you are, to some degree, underselling how clueless people who are born and have been wealthy their entire lives can truly be about, like, how hard some people do struggle. Some people truly have absolutely no idea. Like there's there's a, a level of out of touchness and lack of of like understanding. Yeah. That I think for for somebody like like whether I can't speak to whoever this man is specifically or whatever his deal is, but I just know that there's a lot of super wealthy people that have been very wealthy for their entire life who don't really understand the fact that fifteen hundred dollars can be 
life-changing money yeah. for a much larger number of Americans than they could ever imagine. Uh, I'll give you a nice story. Want to close it out a nice story? Yeah. I love it. Author Stephen King is giving back this week by donating thousands of dollars to an elementary school in his home state of Maine so that a group of students can publish their own books. Uh, King's donating $6,500 uh, to the Farewell Elementary School in Lonston, Maine so that students can publish two books they've written, uh, the principal told CNN this week. Uh, dope move by Stephen King. This is my king. When people mm -hmm. ask, "Is this your king?" Yeah, this guy. This is the yeah, one. Yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, and I just, uh, I just want to share a quick story. When I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. with this guy who his name's Larry Cohen. He was a writer, mm -hmm. and he was related to my teacher. And he came into the classroom. The whole idea is he was going to help all the kids write a story. We're going to write one big story for the whole class, right? Mm -hmm. And every kid was going to write a chapter. Mm -hmm. And we all pitched to him as a class in fifth grade that we should all write our own stories. Mm -hmm. And they loved it. He loved it so much. He was so excited that we were all like wanting to do our own thing. That every kid in like the class wrote their own story, and they came in and he like helped everybody write these stories, right? And I remember my story that I wrote in fifth grade. It was called "The Olympic Werewolf." Mm. <laughs> and the idea was there was a guy, and he uh, he was this uh, runner, right? And he was desperate to make the Olympics, mm. so he took this new type of steroid, mm -hmm. right? But little did he know, the doctor who gave him this pill, this doctor he's working with, is also mm -hmm. experimenting mm -hmm. with, you know, uh, with uh, Timberwolf DNA, mm. right? And the steroids have become infected with the Timberwolf DNA, which thus turns this man into the Olympic werewolf, mm. who must fight to clear his name and prove that he was not the monster that people believed he was. So like Teen Wolf 2? A little bit like Teen Wolf 2. Okay. Although, I, I have see. to admit, I have I to see. say, I have to say... I did not know what Teen Wolf was in fifth grade. Mm. So Suspicious. I, I didn't. Why would I have known yeah, that? For sure. I'm just saying. Why would you have not? Well, I have not. Teen Wolf. Uh, but I remember that for the rest of my life because, like, this, like, again, this author I didn't know who has real work out there. I've looked him up a thousand times. Uh, that gave us, like, a little bit of influence and excitement to do something creative. Stephen King, in this case, you know, helping these guys publish a book that they've written. Really cool stuff. Again, little things you can do help a long way yeah definitely real people too like actual people who mm -hmm. who care about like the nice things people do for them all right that's uh that's a good story to go into the break with let's talk to uh our guest from this week you know him by the uh his elected news moniker on youtube or on uh instagram uh and on facebook as well twitter all those things uh luke riddell we had a great conversation we talked a bit about the recently completed uh new york 22 race uh, his relationship with the candidates and how he feels like that will change going forward and what we should expect in 2022 uh, if we'll get the third round of uh, Brindisi versus Timmy. Back to the show in just a moment. Hey, how are you? Let me just uh, set up my light here. Oh, take your time. Take your time. What's up, man? Good to see you. How are you? Ah, I mean, 
how can how are we doing? <laughs> how how is life? <laughs> no, I mean things are okay, man. All things considered, um, I'm healthy. I'm uh, staying out of the world at large for the most part. Good stuff. Good stuff. I will say, I don't know if you've had this issue happen to you. Uh, I did have to go to the grocery store this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went out to the grocery store. Get some. I was out of coffee and cat food, which are the only two things really that forced me to go out in public. Exactly. The two necessities. <laughs> two necessities of my life. Coffee for me and the cat food so the cat stops looking at me and judging me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was in the store. And the I don't know if you've had this out in public yet where the guy or lady behind you in line is like real close to you. Like they're oh, yeah. They're not, they don't quite, they're not quite six feet. You like, you kind of eyeball it. It's like three or four feet, maybe. This happened to me probably right after we spoke last time you were in the pod. It was during uh, election day when I went to go vote. And the people behind me in line at uh, the voting location I was at were just like pressing me. Like they were, yeah. they were getting closer to me. And I'm, I'm trying not to move forward, right? Because right. like there's people ahead of me and I'm trying to be courteous. So I'm essentially like moving out of the line, like like to the, like he's over. I know. <laughs> I I, like, I think the problem is is that like people haven't been out of the house in so long that they forget their like social boundaries and they it's like penguins they want to huddle closer together and be and be closer to each other. I think that's part of the problem. I like and your. You're a very magnetic individual, so that's that might be another part of it. They're like, oh, who's this guy? I want to be closer to him. <laughs> uh, Luke Riddell of Elected News, it is a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Uh, how's life as an intrepid kid reporter on the scene? <laughs> oh, it's 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 a, a lot less busy now, now that it's all yeah. over. Uh, there, there was a period there where I would be... Uh, checking updates every five minutes looking for for new court filings and that's that's out of my life which is just fantastic uh but no things are going very well i'm i'm, I'm feeling i'm feeling good about well, I, was, uh, I was thinking about that today actually as i was getting ready for the interview i was going through and i you know i went back to the, the twitter page and I, and I follow your twitter page anyway but you know i'm going back through and i was even just looking at the recap that you did sort of of all the major dates starting from november 23rd all the way through till uh february 8th and just even looking back at uh, at everything that's happened, it feels like a strange fever dream. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The last it's it's been a hundred days of not knowing who won exactly, yeah. which I insane. I think I think Pelosi scheduled it like that on purpose just so I could have something to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy uh, since election night all the way through to today. Uh, just. Not knowing what was going to happen and you know who was actually leading and how, by how much we didn't know how much had been counted we didn't know how much needed to be counted it was a, a crazy crazy process and i think if you if you scroll through that thread you'll see a lot of uh the news and a lot of the stories we were talking about back then but also just like the various haircuts and like how long it got and then like short at some points and like some days I'd have bags under my eyes from staying up late and scrolling through a court filing. Uh, so, so my, my own personal uh, uh, transformation over the course of the past hundred days has been uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I, I look better now than I did 
on November 3rd. But uh, well, well, Luke, let's go way back for a second, because last time you were on the show was October 3rd, uh, 2020, which was, I think, mm-hmm. episode uh, is about 19 episodes. It's about 19 weeks or so. Uh, and I'm sure that our feelings were were different then than they are right now. Yeah. I've sort of I've sort of this is where I've sort of fallen with everything right on on election night when the numbers came in and it looked like Claudia had had beaten uh, Anthony Brindisi by 28,000 votes. Right. I was yeah. stu- I was stunned. I was like, there's no way yeah. there's, no, there's no way that this guy lost that many people in one two year cycle. Like, I don't I don't I don't see it. So yeah. even at the end of this, even with all the bumps in the road and even all the, the sticky gate and the dead people voting and, right. and all the stuff, the fact that it came down to this 109 number is actually much less surprising to me than it would have been had it been some huge, massive margin. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that was uh, part of it was on election night, uh, it was so shocking. I think the last time I was on was October 3rd. I think we had that poll, right? We had the Syracuse, we were talking about the Syracuse.com poll where her favorables were, you know, in the high thirties, low forties. And she was, you know, obviously, you know, pretty far behind him in that poll. Um, and, and that was where kind of everybody expected it to be. We did an election Eve super special. I did an election Eve super special for the show and had on a whole bunch of guests, uh, both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, George Phillips, who is Claudia's primary opponent, uh, the councilman Delvin Moody. I went on to uh, Bill Keeler's morning radio show and swapped places with him. So I was interviewing them and I, I had them go around the table and make their predictions. And nobody said Tenney was going to win. They thought, you know, Bernice by four or five points. I think that was the general consensus. And I think to a certain extent, the fact that uh, she won by 109 votes might be a little bit more comforting for uh Bernice and the democrats after all uh it's a trump what plus 15 district so the yeah. fact that she's 15 points behind the incumbent uh is is you know th- that means that essentially a third of republicans mm-hmm. voted either Bernice trump trump and no one on the congressional ticket or you know a bunch of people voted just Bernice and not for trump or biden um and that's that's not good for Tenney. But I also think the drumbeat of what we saw, it, it stopped on the day after or the day before Thanksgiving, Bernice was up by 12. And that was like the culmination of right, Tenney was- up by 8,000, Tenney up by 14,000, Tenney up by 7,000, like this gradual chipping away to the point where once he crossed the threshold, they got really excited. And remember, they like said, like, in January, I will be sworn in. And and they got, and he later told me that was a typo. Uh, but but they got really excited about that. Uh, but, and then the fact that it just kind of got like, just a little tiny bit off. I think that might, that might be a little, uh, I, I think, I think that irks him. I think, I, I, I haven't had a chance to speak to him since he conceded. No. Um, and look, but, I, I don't think that, you know, from, from my perspective, and I, I just have to say, you know, I've never really had a conversation with Claudia Tenney. I don't understand what happened that she like banned the show. And we can talk about the Twitter stuff later because I have thoughts about that too. But uh, she kind of like, I was surprised when I found out that I had gotten blocked as a platform by her. And I think it was simply just because uh, Congressman Brindisi 
had been on the show many times and he was, uh, he's a friend. I wouldn't call him a friend. He's a guy who's very nice to me when I, when I see him and he's always very friendly and courteous. Right. I, I don't think he'd call me to help him move or anything. Do you know what I mean? No. We're not close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, he, he's, he's a, you know, uh, just a, yeah, a, a nicer, uh, a nice guy to, to members of the media, I, I think. And, and that's, a smart, a smart political strategy. Like you want them to ask you, you nicer questions. I, I try not to let that affect my interviews and I, you know, I will judge those from themselves. Uh, I have had many conversations with Claudia Tenney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the last time I, the last time I talked at her was in <laughs> October. Uh, and, and she did talk, she did talk to me. She, she answered one of my questions, uh, which was, you know, something I, I think, we might have talked about that. Uh, we might have talked about that in the podcast. I don't know we when did, we were. Yeah. I, I think the what if my recollection is October fourth would have been. Oh really? Though really? it might have been the day after our podcast. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know, uh, I uh, Miss Tenney tweeted out a, a debunked conspiracy theory about the coronavirus death toll, uh, at, which was something that I. Uh, you know, I, I try to monitor both candidates' Twitter feeds and, and what they're saying. Obviously, you know, uh, Congressman Ducey does have control over his Twitter feed, but he is more measured with it uh, sure. than Miss, I would say. Um, and, and she oftentimes replies to trolls or people, uh, you know, just general people in, in her replies. And this reply, you know, claimed that the coronavirus death toll was a Democrat talking point and wasn't actually as high as it was. And so I posted a fact check of that. And then the next day I was scheduled to go and actually interview her, uh, do like a walk and talk interview with her, like I had done with Brindisi at one of his events in September, uh, do a walk and talk interview with her at a rally she was holding with Elise Stefanik actually. And when I arrived, like the entire attitude had shifted her people were saying like, stay away from her. It's not happening. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna cover the event. And then they, they tried to get the police to escort me away because they were very nervous that I would ask her the question, which I ultimately did, which was, do you believe the coronavirus death toll is accurate? A question, by the way, she still has not answered. She still has not answered that question. I don't understand why that question is, like, if she, uh, here's kind of the thing that drives me nuts with all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. If, if she, if she didn't say it, then I would, you know, I would argue, I would imagine she'd want to come out and say, I didn't say that. Or if she right. did say it, wouldn't that appeal to people who were voting for her? Anyway, wouldn't she just double down on it and almost, right. I'm not, not to be cynical, but. Yeah. The weirdest part was that, you know, and, and part of that was when I posted the tweet and I, I had a fact check of it, uh, Dr. Fauci had uh, addressed it. It was a popular a conspiracy with the QAnon movement. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Fauci had been asked about it in like a Today Show interview. And so I posted, uh, I think it was an Axios article saying, you know, Fauci debunks the 6% conspiracy theory. And that was like weeks before she tweeted it. So obviously either she knew about it or she, you know, didn't actually know about it, but should have known about it. Uh, and I sent it to uh, her deputy campaign manager and another uh, person that was kind of lower level on the campaign and said, hey, like, what's this like what's going on here um and six hours later the tweet was deleted off of her account and she like almost never deletes tweets that's right. um i mean we'll block people yeah and th that's her main way I, we we got uh 
she and I were uh, like kind of had like a tweet back and forth about mail-in voting and, mm. and she blocked me so I couldn't further reply, but all that stuff is still up there. Um, but that was the first time I've seen her actually delete a tweet. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that was, that was bizarre to me. And, and so that was the last time I actually spoke to her. Um, but yeah, no, we, I, I interviewed her a lot during the 2018 campaign uh, because I, I was doing the downtown hospital mini series. Right. Uh, and, and one of the, the first person I ever interviewed for anything was Jim Brock, the yeah. Jim Brock, yep. downtown. And he's good, like childhood friends with uh, Congress. And he set it up so I could have an interview with her in June. Uh, we really hit it off. She talked to me for about an hour after our half an hour long interview. Uh, it, was, it was me, my dad and, and Congresswoman Tenney sitting across the table, just talking. Um, and, and then, you know, she would come on, the, she'd call, call into the show. I had her on, we had the elected podcast. She'd call into that. Um, she arranged it so I could get into the, when Trump came to the event, I, I asked Jim if it, cause Jim Brock was going and I said, Hey, you know, could I get in and cover it? And I was the only like local media person in that event. Uh, I, I didn't have to pay the thousand dollars that they're making people pay. So I, I, I think, you know, she, uh, I think that might've led to a misinterpretation maybe of what I was doing, you know, and, and, and like what I was doing, like I wasn't there because I liked per, per se the president or Claudia. I didn't, I don't oppose either of them or, or oppose, you know, dislike them, but I was there because I, I, I wanted to cover the event. And I never said like, you know, hey, can you get me in? I'm a big fan of the president. It was, it was like, hey, I would like to cover this event. But I do think there was that expectation like that I would be friendly and favorable to her. Um, and then in the 2020 campaign, I did a piece about how she wouldn't debate George Phillips after saying that she would you know, was a big fan of debates. And that was really where it kind of went off the rails. She, she gave me a very angry phone call and it, it, it really wasn't, you know, so the last time she's actually been on the show was in April of last year. Um, but no, I do, I do, I, I, I don't feel bad about Well, I mean, my question, I guess, really is, do you expect that going forward, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to have discourse with her now? Or do you think that she's going to like hold it against you somehow? Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I, I think a lot of what uh, this, this, you know, brand of politicians that, uh, does is like, I, I, I tell the truth, right? So I'm authentic, yep. uh, mm -hmm. you know, like the Trump argument, this is, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm going to speak my mind no matter what. And that's part of like the fearlessness. So I'll answer any question you ask. One thing I'll say too, is like, whenever I would interview in the earlier days anyways, it, mm. it, 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 it hasn't happened recently. It didn't happen when I interviewed him for my article um, for the Spartan Expressions, but in the earlier on, and it was probably because I was you know, new on the scene and a 14 year old and stuff, uh, the Bernice campaign would ask me, uh, they, they first asked me for questions that I was going to ask. And I said, I'm not gonna give you questions. Then they asked for topics and I would give like kind of broader topic outlines. I've had that um, conversation with lots of people before. I know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And and one thing I respected about about Jim and about Claudia yeah. was that they were asked they would never ask in advance what I was going to ask about. Yeah. Uh, now of course <laughs> in October and you know at, at at her rally when they knew I was going to ask about the coronavirus, right. they you know used the police and security guards 
to, to right. block me and attack me afterward. But I will say like that, that is something that, that I respected about her. So I, I hope she will. Uh, I, I have had no contact with her. I have no way of like arranging an interview right now, yeah. you know, yeah, normal, like press people and stuff. And I, I, her spokesperson for the campaign, Sean Kennedy actually blocked my phone number. Uh, so, and she's also blocked my phone number. So I, I, I have about, all- I've talked about this before with somebody on here. Uh, I was talking with somebody who had mentioned, I can't say who, I can't have to protect my sources all the time. Essentially that the podcast had been brought up to Claudia in, I'm sorry, Congresswoman Tenney, in yeah. conversation and she seemed willing to do it, but her people told her no. Like mm-hmm. her, who I don't know who her people is and I don't know what that means necessarily, right. like who on her staff was like, don't do that. But she seemed, apparently from what I was, my source told me, she was willing to come on until people talked her down from it. Right, yeah. I, yeah I, speculation, mind you, allegedly. I'm gonna do the yeah. narrow thing. And I think that's 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 interesting because like I do feel like a lot of times, you know, I, and it was the same way with, uh, when I, when I tried to get, you know, former Congressman Verdissi on the show, a lot of times it was like, I would have conversations, I had conversations with him on the phone before, before it ever happened. You know, they were off the records. I won't get into what they were about, but yeah. just like in general. And it was, there was a resistance for a while to coming on the show, particularly with the downtown hospital stuff I was talking about. They didn't want to litigate that, but he, he finally did. And I, and I appreciated him coming on and addressing some of the things uh, that, that, you know, he hadn't really addressed in, in that way before. Uh, I think, for for me, I mean, obviously she she knew about the show. She she's come on the show before. Uh, f- after she left office, she became a very big fan of the show. I she was definitely a subscriber to my YouTube channel then. I think she still is now, and I think she does keep tabs on what I tweet, or at least she has someone do it uh, if if she can't see it on her end. Um, but uh, oftentimes in you know, early 2019 uh, through like, I don't know, February of 2020, uh, she would send me text messages after my YouTube uploads, even stuff that wasn't about NY22, just like, you know, I, I did a skit about Kellyanne Conway. And she said, oh, that was pretty funny. I, 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 like, I like what you did. Uh, so, so I know that, and she uh, endorsed me when I, I ran a poll in New York, had a mayoral race. And uh, I don't know if you recall, no one ran. They had no candidates on the ballot. Yeah. So the yeah. night before the election, I, I jokingly announced my campaign. And, and then she sent me a text like an hour after I posted that video and gave me her full endorsement. So, so I, she's, I, I, I think, you know, she's a fan of the show. And I think, I think she liked me, like as a, just as a person. And, and I, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope she'll come on. She, she's attacked me sense in, in a pretty personal way on on the radio and stuff although i will say like it's we're interesting the people, I, we're I, the media I, side I, of this we're supposed to have uh thicker skin than they are as the media we're not supposed to be offended by anything yeah i'm not really i don't consider myself the media but <laughs> yeah i couldn't i i i found it kind of amusing when when yeah. it all went down and and just to make a point about like political strategy i i used to joke i said you know okay if, if you think it's a good an effective political strategy is spend 15 minutes on the radio talking about how I'm a prima donna and a diva, except now a hundred days later, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was an effective political strategy. She's what? a genius. It worked. She knows exactly what she's doing. It worked out perfect. 
That cool. those the hundred and nine votes in Oneida County came from people listening to Bill Keeler's show that day as she was talking about how I'm a tracker or something. It's like that was it's it's more she's dumped more oppo research on me than she actually has on Brindisi, which is ridiculous. But Let me uh, ask you one last question about this because I have some other stuff I want to ask you too. In your opinion, and and I plan on having uh former Congressman Brindisi back on the show whenever he wants to come on. I've known him for a really long time. He'd been on the show before he was in Congress and he was just an assemblyman. I'll be happy yeah. to chat him up. So I'll ask him this if I get the opportunity. But in your mind, in two years from now, are we looking at Brindisi 10 <laughs> I, I, You know what? I think George Phillips will run for a fifth time and it'll be fifth time's the charm. Uh, I, I, I'm from, I, I like George Phillips. I don't want I don't want him to, I don't want him to be mad about that. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh yeah i it, it just depends on the redistricting it's the huge question mark is like and and don't even ask you like i, I have no idea what's gonna happen with that not uh, a clue yeah no i don't either dave wasserman at nbc news uh if it was like the same district then yeah but uh and, and by the way if it is bernice tenney again i'm gonna like i don't know what i'm gonna do no i <laughs> I'll, I'll put the so show on I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it again. It's so awful. I mean, it's the same stuff over and over again. Uh, I'm going to deal with listening to Tenny talk, play the victim card over and over, and Bernissi saying uh, uh, special interest money, special interest money. It's like every they have their like go to cards every time, and it's like come up with something new. I've right, new said a million times. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I like I'm more on. You know, I'm not more on one side than the other. I was always obviously more supportive of, of Congressman Disney. We've known each other longer. It's just the reality of it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel bad saying I don't think he ran the most effective campaign. Now, you could say that because COVID changed a lot of stuff. We didn't have as many events. I know that Ron talks about that a lot. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily feel like I feel like there was a way that this could have gone differently for him. I don't know if I loved a lot of the way he campaigned against her. In the way, particularly the way she was going so hard against him. That's just my particular thought. Well, I'll tell you, I think there's a huge blind spot in the congressional politics of our district mm -hmm. for effective usage of social media. And I don't know, I mean, it's part of the problem is it's this, a similar thing happened with the 2016 election because yeah. it was so close, like it's, you know, 100,000 votes in Wisconsin. Michigan and Pennsylvania changes the race. So anything that Hillary Clinton did wrong yeah. automatically could have changed the election. Uh, but so, so there's a million reasons why 109 people decided to vote Tenney and not Brudisti. But one of them I think is, is that idea that uh, neither campaign, I think Tenney did a better job of it than Brudisti, but neither campaign is really fully using social media and and part of that's COVID I'm sure like they weren't able to get you know as many pictures and videos as, as they would like to and and stuff but I do think there's a better way for candidates to use social media to galvanize their base um and I feel like that might have been a missed opportunity for both campaigns as for like but but I don't mean to like you know Monday morning quarterback the people who not as communication staff like I you know I, right. I know it's very well I, I thought he did a great job of, of, of getting you know Brindisi out there in interviews and, and the same way with Tiny's communication staff um I mean I do think social media is going to play a big factor in the campaigns of of the future and how you know candidates effectively use it
Can I, uh, can I ask you something we've never really talked about before? We've briefly talked, we briefly mentioned it in discussion. I'm only talking kind of because the uh, second impeachment trial is, is sure. happening as we speak. Yeah. Uh, and, and I hate to do this to you because it's, I feel like it's an age thing. And I know we talked about the age thing before, but I am, I'm 35 years old, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm 15, 14 years older than you. I don't know exactly. Uh, so what is, for me, I had a lot of experience with Trump the character trump the tv punching bag trump the yeah. movie character before he ever even came around for like the apprentice before like i grew up watching professional wrestling he was there right. all the time right so yeah. i'm curious for someone like who feels like it, who what i'm a millennial what are you gen z gen i don't know any of these gen yeah. us gen z i don't know yeah <laughs> what, so what I, like somebody called us the zoomers so I, 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 Jen, I don't even know that we well, can't. Like, when you guys think about like Trump as a, as a character though, like is, did, did, were you aware of him even before presidential election as a thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mainly from like the McDonald's commercials, McDonald's. So similar, a similar way. Yeah. And, and the apprentice, of course. And yeah. then like, you know, he, he never really got much more serious after the apprentice and stuff. And then, like, he was, you know, the, the birther stuff. Like, he was, like, kind of on the political scene, uh, you know. You from see younger people being drawn to him, though? Because I, I never really saw where I worked with kids. Uh, but I also worked in, like, a heavily public school, like, Democrat-laden district. So it didn't surprise me that I saw very few younger generation folks being into the Trump thing. But do you see it? Uh, well, I go to school in New Hartford. So, <laughs> uh I mean, I see a lot of lip, it's, there is like, it is a very polarizing spectrum at my school yeah. where uh, a lot of the teachers and uh, a, 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 I would say a majority of the students are fairly liberal in their political views. Yeah. Um, and, and I come in, and, you know, I transferred uh, to New Hartford in uh, October of 2019 yeah. from Notre Dame, which is a Catholic school yeah. where it's kind of a Verse where most of the students have conservative political views there. And I would say that I, I trend more conservative, the, you know, I've come from a Republican family. And, and so I would say I, tr I trend more uh, towards that end of the spectrum, but I try to keep, you know, everything neutral in the news coverage. Right. Uh, but there are, there is that, there is a contingent at New Hartford and I'm sure elsewhere of uh, people who like Trump. A lot of that comes from more of the, like the owning the libs type of stuff. Yeah, the Mimi sort so, of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's a not a, I don't, I'm not happy with how that is. Like, it's not actually based on conservative principles. Right. Um, that it was when I was, you know, at, at a Catholic school where, you know, there were more people there that were like Republican first and not Trumpy. Uh, but the main, the main demographic of, of people that I've encountered at New Hartford that are like that are like, yeah, that, that kind of bitter, uh, crazy Nancy, crying chuck schumer like own own the libs you know, type antagonist they like trump because they like trump because he's uh, a jerk uh which i never i never understood and i feel like that that's kind of a like a sad masculinity type argument but i i go back to that's like a nature versus nurture thing right i grew up my parents were divorced my mom was a first grade teacher she's yeah. amazing an amazing woman so a lot of my mentality about life comes from this woman who taught first grade for 45 years, which is essentially right. share, be nice to people, like yeah. clean up your messes, like don't oh, like, yeah. lie, don't like, those, that's a lot of 
where my, I, I didn't appreciate it until I got older. You know what I mean? But like a lot of folks didn't have that. Didn't have somebody who's like, no, you have to do your homework. You have to do the right things. It's important to be good and yeah. follow the rules and stuff. And I think a lot of people just look at it from that perspective, right? Like moral, being good and being just is not cool. Being kind of a cynical jerk is cool. Look at the internet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of moral relativism. I, I do find, I, I had a similar experience to you. Uh, both of my parents are, are attorneys. Uh, yeah. So they're very much about, you know, the, and, and, and Catholics. And uh, so, and, and, you know, obviously I'm a Catholic and, and I went to Catholic elementary school and I, I had a great first grade teacher. Uh, one time I, someone stole my glue stick in grade and I called them a dummy. Okay. And, 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 and I got my name written on the board and they had like the box in the corner of the chalkboard and it said Luke on it. And my whole, my, the, the red group of our desks all got in trouble because my name was on the board that day. And, and I didn't call him a dummy again. So uh, it, it worked out. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think that there is a, a disturbing amount of people who, who do have that kind of moral relative, like, oh, it's, it's fine if I do it, you know? Like yeah. I, I, I'm doing it for the right reasons. And also a lot of whataboutism, like <laughs> I, I found it interesting too, and, and getting back to the kind of the January 6th stuff which you were talking about, uh, Tenney's answer on whether Trump bears responsibility for the Capitol riots and a lot of Republicans answers for whether Trump bears responsibility for the Capitol riots is a lot of like, well, Maxine Waters said that you should do this to people who support Trump. And Chuck Schumer said this about Kavanaugh and this is what happened. Like, yeah, okay, cool. That's wrong. But like, if you're- Oh, we're the, talking about. Hypocrite saying, oh, really? You're a hypocrite. Like that's not solving the problem for anybody. That's this, not solving the problem. This whole thing, I, I find it, you know, I've talked a little bit about like uh, the board of electors in United County and whether or not we should be concerned about like, should we be embarrassed that we're like the last county in the country? To, like, should we be like, to a certain level embarrassed? I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> I look, but I look at like this impeachment trial and I look at some of the disingenuous arguments, yeah. you know, and I'm like, should I be embarrassed of this? I feel like I should be embarrassed of what I'm watching with like some of these conversations. I really feel like it's it it's a hard watch this second impeachment trial for me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's not a lot. I, I'm sure the, the the listeners are like really demoralized, which is just great. That's what you want. Uh, come listen to episode 1294 of the Unicast, where we're dour about politics. <laughs> destroy your spirits about. <laughs> Yeah, make make you wish you lived in Canada. No, um, <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I, I just want, I don't know. I, I understand why we're doing this. I understand that you have to put people on record, right? I want to know who on record says this is okay and this isn't. That's that's right. all I, you know, and if that's all we get out of this, which I feel like it's going to be, then that's what we get out of this. And that's important in the yeah. long run. But having to go through like watching the mechanics of government, like work slowly as the internet works quickly, it makes yeah. my brain hurt. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, I am definitely way too much of an optimist about this stuff. Like I, I and, and uh, I guess it comes from a, a patriotic sense of optimism in a certain way uh, that I kind of love the country and have faith in its institutions. That like, even though we have a lot of people in government, we have like Marjorie Taylor Greene right now is one of 435 people in the legislative branch of our government. Like, <laughs> I, I have faith. I, I still believe. And, and not for nothing, like I have 
met with and interacted with Claudia Tenney. And so I have faith in our institutions. Uh, can I ask I, you? And, and I'll tell you, I, I watch, I don't know if you ever watch, do you, have you watched the West Wing? No, I'm a big Veep guy though. I watch Veep, not a lot of okay. the West <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the West Wing is, is a great show. It's super optimistic, like a very like Clintonian, yep. uh, liberalistic view of the world, but it is a very optimistic show. And, and whenever I kind of need that, that patriotic comfort food, uh, I'll watch, you know, Martin Sheen as president uh, doing exactly the right thing and saying exactly the right thing. And think, oh, that's, that's nice. Whereas the president we have now doesn't seem very capable of forming complete sentences without help from Kamala. But, you know, here, uh, and here's the thing that drives me the most nuts. And this is what scares me the most, right? Like, I don't believe ever in general that you should like idolize politicians for any reason. I voted for Joe Biden. Do I, yeah. did, do I have a Joe Biden flag in front of my house or a Joe Biden Harris 2020 t-shirt? Absolutely not. Why would I do that? I, they're yeah. just people, right? They're politicians. Yeah. I, I, I have more sports oh. disease, right? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. maybe if, if Joe Biden scored a goal for Liverpool, I'd go get a Joe Biden t-shirt. But until right. that day happens, right? Like, but that's kind of what scares me about like, when I see people who are like, it's Trump or we're going to go to war. Right. Like, I don't I don't I don't understand it. No, because that's that's just as bad as saying stop the steal, you know, or, <laughs> or, or and I'll tell you, I got I do have behind me. I do have a Biden sign, but that is only because this these are all the signs I got on my New Hampshire trip. And people will ask. They're like, oh, you have so many Democrat signs. Yeah, because it was a Democratic primary in New Hampshire. But I do have on, on that wall is all the Democratic primary signs. So I got Bernie and Warren and Tulsi, the oh. judge. And some of them are autographed. But on the other wall, I got now all of the presidential losers. Yes. Uh, I've got a poster board with all of the presidential. Oh, so I've got uh, President Ford in 76, Goldwater in 64, Clinton Kane, Romney Ryan, Carrie Edwards, Gore Lieberman. Even that, though, um, no, that, that Goldwater 64 sticker, which our listeners will not be able to see, is absolutely fire. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Orange, orange is a very patriotic color, right? Orange is a patriot. Isn't orange on the flag? Isn't it red, white, and orange? I'm, I'm pretty only sure it's only orange. if you're colorblind. Uh, Luke, it's orange, <laughs> yellow lettering too, which is just the just, just such a wonderful blend. It looks like I'm looking at a traffic cone. What awesome. uh, so what's next for you guys now with everything sort of wrapped up going with, with this particular race? Like, what does yeah. elected news do now that the race is over and Claudia is officially in? as Congresswoman, what goes on for you now? So uh, it's a, a break first and foremost. Uh, we got February break coming up uh, this week from school. So I'll be taking off. I got my my birthdays on uh, the Sunday of February break. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be 17 years old. I'll be one year off from voting. 2022 midterms will be the first time I can vote, which will be big. Uh, and and maybe I'll be voting in the Elise Stefanik Claudia Tenney primary. Thanks to redistricting, who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny because it could actually happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I I I'm gonna be covering everything that happens. Obviously, I think uh, the the impeachment trial, however that wraps up, is gonna be interesting. Once uh, Biden gets his COVID bill across the finish line, 
I will be doing a lot of coverage of that. And then there's going to be, there's going to be stuff to cover with Tenney in Congress. And, and like we covered Verdissi and again, hopefully we'll get in, in an interview with, with her. That that's really my next step is to hopefully uh, get something like that. And, and I hope she'll come on. And uh, probably. Luke, course, this. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Luke, of course, uh, people can follow you on elected news on Twitter. Where else do people go if they want to get in touch with you on YouTube as well? Yeah, so they can check me out on Twitter at Luke Radel, R-A-D-E-L. They can go to LukeRadel.com, which will take them to my YouTube channel, uh, Elected News. And uh, I also post on Medium. So if people have me, if people have Medium, uh, where I post kind of my long form articles, like my profile of Anthony Bernice for uh, the school newspaper, Spartan Expressions, uh, they can check me out on Medium. You're not on uh, Stubbs, uh, Substack yet. That's what all the that's what all the young and cool kids are on, isn't it? I I am not. I, I I picked Medium instead. I that was the first one that came to mind. I might have to get on there, and I still have to get. To, I st- I have to start Twitch streaming. I think is the next thing for that's me. That's the hot thing. You got to play Among Us, which was cool like six months ago, and everyone's. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I might as well. I I am not a huge. The, politics is my video game. So I I the, like all the time I would spend playing video games as a teenager is spent pouring over cbo documents and no, no, uh no game at all no gaming at all as a as a as a high schooler that's mind-blowing uh i i mean i play okay there is i play uh, on my ipad i play uh, it's a game called a board game called ticket to ride hmm. and it's like like a train strategy game i i okay. strongly recommend but video games wise i leave that to my brother he he plays a lot of sports video games at 2k and Madden, and sometimes i'll play him in those and he beats me uh, very handily. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> before I let you go, can I give you a couple quick lightning round questions before we head What's out here? Do it. All right. Uh, Luke Dell, elected news, the man, the myth, the legend, intrepid kid reporter. <laughs> I got to stop doing that to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to put this in my, uh, on my resume. I appreciate <laughs> it. On my college application. Uh, give me, uh, what's the very first thing you'd like to do post uh coronavirus uh quarantine times like what's the what is there a restaurant you want to go to or a place you want like what's the one number one thing just hug hug a random lady old lady on the street i I missed it just run up to agnes or uh (laughs) some some random old lady uh i would like to go to delmonico steakhouse Uh, i miss going to delmonico one of my favorite places to eat uh i'm not gonna uh, we're actually gonna be going there they have outdoor dining in Orlando. We're going to Florida. And of course there's a Delmonico's in Florida for some reason. Uh, uh, and so I'm going there on my birthday. Cause that's kind of a tradition. We go there every year on my birthday. So it'll be nice to go to rest. Funny story for a very, very short period of time. And no one at Delmonico's will claim me. I was the bus boy at Delmonico. Wow. That was one of my earliest uh, jobs when I had, I, I had a really weird job cycle as a teenager. Cause I was playing in <laughs> punk bands, punk bands. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, finger quotes. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I was at Delmonico's for a long time as a bus boy. One of my, yeah. the least amount of work I ever put into a job ever because I was very bad at it. Uh, now, what is so, the punk band? Oh, I, that's a whole different conversation for a different time. Uh, point is, we, we, by punk band, I mean, I wanted to be Jimmy Eat World, which maybe is a band you've probably never heard of. My, no, my dad listens to Jimmy Eat World. That I, I, feelings. <laughs> I took and I took that personally. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Luke, but one more. Uh, give me a give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching during this time. 
Oh, uh, so just or 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 of like li- go down the list. You can give me or unless you have one for all of them. I don't I don't know what you've been up to. Well, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Queen. I, I've been listening to the Beatles, uh, particularly Nowhere Man, uh, because that's the title of my article, because I was uh, Brindisi told me his high school yearbook quote was from the Beatles Nowhere Man. So as I was writing the article, I'd listen to the song almost daily to try and keep it in perspective for how I was writing the article. Uh, TV show, I told you the West Wing. I, I always, I'll always recommend The Office. Uh, and WandaVision on Disney Plus, oh, yeah. I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and yeah, so I, I enjoy that. Uh, books, I am currently working on a whole, bu- I'm working on several. I have a stack. Uh, 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 Disney War right now by James B. Stewart is what mm-hmm. I'm working uh, I've read it before, but I, I, I like to reread it a couple a couple times. And we're going to be hopefully going to Disney uh, when we go to Florida. So I like to kind of read it to get in the mood. Uh, and it's a journalistic piece about the fall of their CEO, which was pretty interesting. interesting. You yeah. should, uh, if you like that kind of thing, I'll give you a YouTube recommendation. I watched this guy on YouTube. Uh, it's called Defunct Land is the name. Oh, of- I love, I love, I have his book. You have uh, his book? Oh, I gave it to somebody else. I have an autographed copy of his book. That's the other one I read all the time. I love Kevin is awesome. He's fantastic. Yeah, Kevin Perjurer on Twitter. He's a great follow. Um, all right, I'll give you one. Uh, I'll give you one last one, then we'll we'll call it quits. I got to go back though for a second. All so right. You said Brindisi's yearbook quote was a Beatles song. It was. It was nowhere, man. Nowhere. It was. Uh, he he texted me the actual text of the quote, but uh, yeah, it was from the Nowhere Man song. Can I give you an embarrassing one? Yeah. My high school yearbook quote was from the movie Fight Club, which is one of the cringiest things I can think of in 2021. <laughs> like, tell anyone about Fight Club. So you've already broken the I rules. Of- <laughs> You're not supposed to tell anyone that it even exists. Come on, I was so edgy when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> Luke, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate you. Uh, again, follow Luke on Twitter at Luke Riddell. Go to YouTube, follow Like News, follow him all over the place. Uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Be safe out there. Uh, and again, hope to hear more from you in the future, brother. Thank you. Always happy to do it. Take care, boss. Be safe. Thank you. I feel like it's one of two things. Either you got them from some sort of work scenario or something you ordered by accident, or it's just the person who lived at your house before you and then has never stopped sending magazines to your house. You mean catalogs or you mean magazines? Catalogs, I suppose, right? Yeah, catalogs, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this Serengeti catalog you were looking at. Uh, This must just be an old woman lived here before us. Uh, Yeah, this is is specifically addressed to, I think, the landlord. And, uh, yeah, it's just fabulous clothing for wealthy older women. Wealthy. Is it yeah. expensive? I mean, relatively, yeah. I don't know what the price is for any of this. 20 bucks for this butterfly necklace, so that's kind of nice. It's a $90 dress? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so thanks again uh, to Luke Riddell. Uh, I got to be honest. You guys get down and annoyed about the history lessons sometimes. Well, Kev does. Uh, I love them. Great week for history lessons. Mm, really important week, week for history lessons. First off, if you're listening to this today... It's the day after Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there. All the lovers in the world. Mm. And all the non-lovers, too. Everyone, happy Valentine's Day. Be nice to your, your significant others on every day besides Valentine's Day, All the time. All the time. All the time. I don't understand. 
Uh, let's go back to 270 AD. We're going way back for Good this one. Good God. Uh, on this day, <laughs> under the rule of Claudius the Cruel, Rome was involved in many unpopular and bloody campaigns. The emperor had to maintain a strong army, but was having a difficult time getting soldiers to join his military leagues. So Claudius believed that Roman men were unwilling to join the army because of their strong attachment to their <laughs> wives and families. Right. Uh, to get rid of this problem, Claudius banned all marriages and engagements in Rome. Uh, Valentine was a man who was, realized the injustices of this decree and defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. When Valentine's actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. Valentine was arrested and dragged before the prefect of Rome, who condemned him to be beaten to death with clubs and to have his head cut off. Sentence was carried out on February 14th on this day in the year 2070. Uh, I'm sorry, 270 A.D. Uh, life also <laughs> had it. Uh, legend also has it that while in jail, St. Valentine left a farewell note to the jailer's daughter, who he had become friends with, and signed it, From Your Valentine. Mm. Uh, for his great service, Valentine was named a saint after his death. There are like three established Valentine's Day uh, myths. There's a, a, a St. Valentine martyr in the Roman Proverbs, uh, in Roman Proverbs in Africa. There is a St. Valentine named after a bishop in tyranny in Italy. So there's a lot of, like, uh, conjecture about where Valentine's Day comes from, or the mm. idea of Valentine's Day. It's the Hallmark Company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Hallmark <laughs> Company is where that comes from. Uh, but, yeah. So there you go. St. Valentine was beheaded on this day. What a nice romantic story. Yeah. Because, it, essentially, for Footloose. Like, Claudio was like, no marriage. No, no, we're too busy with other stuff. And he's like, no, you can't stop people from getting married. And then they, uh... They say it all the time. There's only, like, seven stories. Yeah, so Valentine... like, seven stories, you can tell. <laughs> so Valentine's Day is, uh, Footloose. All right. Maybe the longest and most important history lesson on this day. On this day, mm. 1832... It was the 189th birthday. No, today's the 189th birthday of Utica, New York. That's right. On this day, 1832, the city of Utica was established on the site of Old Fort Schuyler, built by American colonists for defense in 1758 during the French and Indian War, the North American front of the Seven Years' War against France. Prior to construction of the fort, the Mohawk, Onondaga, and, Oni uh, and Oneida tribes had occupied this area south of the Great Re Lake region as early as 4000 B.C., so we just told them to get out, by the way. <laughs> we said wow. uh, the Mohawks were the largest and most powerful tribe in the eastern part of the Mohawk Valley. American colonists had long-standing fur trades with them in exchange for firearms and rum. Tribes' dominating presence in the region prevented the province of New York from expanding past the middle of the Mohawk Valley until after the American victory in the Revolutionary War. When British-controlled Iroquois were forced to cede their lands as allies of the defeated British... An American allied Iroquois were forced to cede their land in exchange for shelter and supplies following all the fighting. So no matter what side you were on, if you were in the Iroquois, you got screwed. Uh, the land housing old Fort Schuyler was granted by King George II to New York Governor William Crosby. Sorry, Cosby, in January 2nd, 1734. Of Cosby Manor Road. That is correct. Uh, since the fort, is lo uh, fort was located near several trails in its position, uh, it made an important fording point. The Mohawk called this bend... Onondagas, around the hill, and the Mohawk word appears on the city's seal. Uh, during the American Revolutionary War, border raids from British-allied Iroquois tribes harried the settlers on the frontier. George Washington ordered Sullivan's Expedition, which, despite the cool name, uh, was a very dark moment in American history uh, when the Sullivan-Clinton Expedition entered uh, central New York to suppress the Iroquois threat. More than 40 Iroquois villages were destroyed, and their winter stores uh, were destroyed as well, causing starvation. Dark mm. times. 
1794, the State Road Genesee, uh, Genesee Road was built from Utica West to the Genesee River. Uh, that year, a contract was awarded to the Mohawk Turnpike and Bridge Company to extend the road northeast to Albany, and in 1798 it was extended. The Seneca Turnpike was key to Utica's development, replacing a worn footpath with a paved road. The village became a rest and supply area along the Mohawk Valley for goods, and many people moved through western New York to and from the Great Lakes. So there's a lot about Utica in here. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I talk about it all the time. I love Utica history goes so deep with all the like weird stuff it touches into. Yeah, it's interesting to live in a in a place that's so old. It's been it's been around for so long. You know what I mean? It was established back that far back that people were settled in it. You know, not like it was just some like un, unexplored territory up until 1850 or something. This is how you know you're like a history person or like a math person when stuff when you find out stuff like this and you get like a weird ping of excitement. That's how you know you're a history person. If you find yeah. this and you go, eh, <laughs> you're like you're not really a history person. That's no. just the reality of it. Uh, boundaries of the village of Utica were defined in an act passed by New York State Legislature on April 3rd, 1798. On April 5th, 1805, the village eastern and western boundaries were expanded, and on April 7th, 1817, Utica separated from Whitestown on the west. Good call. We should Very smart. We should celebrate that day. April 7th, 1817. Keep it. Keep it. <laughs> uh, after completion of the Erie Canal in 1825, the city's growth was stimulated again. Municipal charter was passed by the state legislature on February 13th, 1832, and Utica was officially announced as a city. City's growth during the 20th century is indicated by an increase in its population. In 1845, the U.S. Census ranked Utica as the 29th largest city in the country, with 20,000 residents more than the populations of Chicago, Detroit, and Cleveland. Mm. Wow. So there you go. Back in the day, Utica hopping. We were, we we're on the scene. Mm. That was a good history lesson. Everything's gonna. Everything I'm gonna tell you right now. It's the best history lesson I have. Everything else is down. That is. It seems like you know that should be. We we'll make that like the centerpiece this week. We're talking all Utica history. Well, you know it. It's funny because I was thinking about it. We are 11 years away from the Utica bicentennial, which I never really thought about until yesterday. I guess we right. have. I guess we we'll have to do something fun. Not you and me specifically, but like we, the royal city of Utica, no, we'll we have to do hang. something cool. We, we can, can hang. Yeah. Hang out the bicentennial. <laughs> Well, like, what do we do for the Utica Bicentennial? Is there going to be a parade? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Hope, hopefully something. I'm sure they'll do something. Well, like, what's the precedent? Like, what's the uh, procedures for other towns that have had bicentennials? Let's mm -hmm. look it up. Like, what do people normally do to celebrate a city's bicentennial? Big parade, I feel like, is number one. Right? Gotta yeah, have didn't a parade. They have, wasn't there an episode of Parks and Rec? There was an episode. Funny of... had the bicentennial. <laughs> they did. Gotta look to that and report back. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, I'll blast through the rest of these history lessons because they're a little bit... So anyway, I started blasting. So anyway, I started blasting. On this day, 1923, uh, uh, King Tut's tomb was opened by English archaeologist Howard Carter, who entered the sealed burial chamber of the ancient king. Uh, because the Egyptians saw the pharaohs as God, they carefully preserved their bodies after death, burying them in elaborate tombs containing rich treasures to accompany the rulers into the afterlife. Uh, it was common during the 19th century for archaeologists from all over the world flocking to Egypt to uncover a number of these tombs. Uh, many had long ago been broken into and stripped of their riches. I'm going to tell you right now, stop breaking into tombs. Just, I'm just full no, stop. Like just... I, in 1923, this was a bad idea. Today, it's a bad idea. Leave the haunted Egyptian tombs and pyramids alone. They are cruxes of evil. I mean, I'm gonna... what really, really though? What has the world shown us since we opened King Tut's tomb? <laughs> In the 1920s, what has the world shown us since we broke that unbroken seal for millennia? Uh, when Howard Carter actually arrived in 
Egypt. He was he was under he was essentially being covered for five years by a gentleman named Lord Carnivon, who was paying for his trip. He's like, I'll give you five years to find out yeah, this yeah. tomb. Uh, he couldn't find it. In early tw- 1922, he wanted to call off the search. Carter convinced him to hold on for one more year. In November of that year, it paid off when they found the actual tomb, which the way they describe it in here is funny. It's like, the steps led to an ancient sealed doorway bearing the name Tutankhamun. Like, I think it's hilarious that for five years, this guy was like, I can't find this tomb! And then he just finds a door that says, like, King Tut's tomb. He's like, oh, never mind, here it found is. It. Found it. It's right here. Uh, <laughs> when they entered the tomb's interior... They were thrilled to find it was virtually intact with treasures untouched after more than 3,000 years. Again, I'm sure you touched them and got cursed. It's a terrible idea. I, I wonder if this guy died from... Did he, he get did. cursed? He did. They all did. They all did. That's like a thing. Everybody <laughs> from King Tut's expedition... I mean, to be fair, it was the 20s, so they still thought you could have, like, ghosts. And yeah, no, it's true, yeah. But, you know... Uh, yeah. No, dis- of course he died. Despite rumors of the curse uh, that would befall anyone who disturbed the tomb, the treasures were carefully cataloged, removed, and included in a famous traveling exhibit called the Treasures of Tutankhamun. If you want to see them today, their permanent home is in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, which is fine-ish. I understand that you return the sacred artifacts to the place that they're from, but I feel like you return them back to the tomb, not to, like, the Cairo Museum. It's, you can't, Nick, you can't. What are you going to do? You're going to leave them out there in the tomb, then people will be coming for them all the Not time. Not me, though. I'll have put it back, and I'll have escaped the curse. I don't know. If someone else curses themselves... You, by opening that tomb, you've made it now known and available to these tomb raiders, if you will, uh, and thus are still responsible. You can't You can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, that's true. I, I know that I'm mixing ancient metaphors here, but... <laughs> the djinn would be the version of that, right? Mm. Uh, I don't know. On this day... 1965, Canada adopts the maple leaf flag. Kevin, you know what the, the Canadian flag looked like before that? No. It was very lame, which is a shame because the the current Canadian flag, I would say, is one of the stronger looking flags. Very strong. Really top-level looking flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, this design was voted on in December 1964. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, the flag was known as the Canadian Red Ensign which was essentially the Union Jack flag from England in one corner, mm. and the rest of the flag was red. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Stupid. It's not a good flag. What's your like go-to flag if you're like, this is the best flag um, in terms of sheer aesthetics? I mean, I'd have to look at them all lined up. There's a couple that I know are really like. I really I like the Brazil flag. Brazil flag, Brazil flag is a flag strong is nice. flag. I like the the Imperial Japan flag with the sun rays. Yes, those yes. are really strong. That's a really good um, one. There's a lot of cool ones. Am I a commie if I say I like the the communist flag? Yeah, of course. It's, I think that's what the people expect. It them. looks great though. It's, yeah. it's great. It's great looking. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna crap on the U.S. flag. I think the U.S. flag looks great. This is a strong. It's flag. a very like strong the, the flag. Greek flag is cool. Greek flag. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, which the one? Uh, which the one with the sword on? Is that the Saudi Arabia flag? Mm. The writing in the sword? Yeah, I think what a, so. That's a bold flag. Strong. Strong flag. Strong, strong flag. Yeah, a lot of good flags. Uh, the worst, I like. I also like any flag for any country or any state or whatever that decides we're not going to conform to the normal standards of what a flag is supposed to look like. You go to, like, Nepal, they're like, our flag is two triangles next to each other. It's yep. not a square. <laughs> Screw you guys. Like, we're two not triangles two. next to each other. Yeah, the, yeah, just the square is all right when people do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's, like, a, a U.S. state... There's not a U.S. state... Like one of the state flags, I think, is not normal-shaped. I could be wrong. I want to say, like, Maryland? Hmm. I don't know. I have to look it up. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. And on this day... Again, we won't dig into this forever. On this day, 1989, the saint agreed to free elections. Oh, here we go. I mean, look. <laughs> here we go. 
It's I'll do you guys the favor. It could have been anything. I'll do you guys the favor of not going through the story of the Sandinistas and Reagan and Bill Barr and Oliver North again. Uh, needless to say, the interesting part of this was that in 1989, the Sandinistas agreed to free elections. Mm. And when they were surprisingly voted out in February 1990, which they didn't expect to happen, uh, Reagan and his crew claimed total victory. Like, we did it! <laughs> because mm -hmm. other people voted him out. Yeah. Ah, that's what you get. So there you go. What a weird time. A lot of America's problems go back to this time. Just remember, folks. It's true. Uh, all right. Let's go to an always exciting part of the year. One of my favorite parts of the year. Kev, you know I love this. It's time for the National Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees mm. for 2021. Mm. That's right. They've been released this week. A very strong batch of nominees for induction into this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Kev, I will read you the list. You tell me if you feel like they are a shoe-in or whatever. Okay? Sure. Number one, this one's, these ones feel kind of obvious. Tina Turner. Yeah, sure. For sure. Jay-Z. Yeah. Obviously. Fine by me. I, people are upset, though. About Jay-Z? Of course. Didn't we already do, like, rappers in the Rock and Roll? Every year. Thing? Yeah, Every so year I don't know why we're still upset Every by this. People yeah. are upset. Foo Fighters. America's most regular band. The most regular band has ever existed. Are they good? Sure. Do I like them? Sure. Sure. <laughs> are, they, are they worthy of this honor? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, you know what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm coming around. Um, yeah. Dave Grohl deserves to be in there for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. For there's there's almost nobody alive right now to to keep the spirit who's who's doing as much to keep the spirit of what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is about alive than Dave Grohl. Yeah. And for that, he deserves recognition and credit. Um, so yeah, Foo Fighters, absolutely. How about Iron Maiden? Oh, totally. Tossman. Great T-shirts. <laughs> How about Devo? Devo's next on the list. Mm. I like Devo yeah, a sure. lot. People, I think Devo's cool. I'm, see, here's my thing: is when it starts to get to with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is I'm, I'm, yeah, let everybody in. That's true. You what know the what Go Go's. I, mean? I couldn't name another Go Go song besides. I don't think I could name one. You might tell me one. Oh, know Mickey, that. is that them? Is that the Go Go's? Oh Jesus, no! I'm out. I'm out. Is that keep not them? Out. Is that? I, I, don't I don't know. know if that's... I have no idea. But keep Carol King, who I would have yes. assumed was already in, in. I, I assumed we would have got there somewhere in like the '80s, right? And then Dionne Warwick, America's favorite Twitter celebrity. Dionne mm. Warwick. Uh, other receiving uh, other nods. Ah, others receiving nods include Mary J. Blige, who I'm also kind of surprised isn't in already. I feel like she's been all over the place. Kate Bush, which is a name I feel like I hear people talk about, and I could not tell you a thing about her. Shaka Khan, same thing. Uh, uh, Fela Kuti, sure. I don't think I know who that is. Mm -hmm. uh, LL Cool J. Uh, New York Dolls, sure. Rage Against the Machine, yeah, mm -hmm. boy. Yes, yeah. definitely. And then Todd Rundgren. So there you go. Some of the people mm -hmm. you should expect to see in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, I guess I'd have fun if I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, Certainly. I've heard I've heard it's actually a super, super fun museum to go visit. It feels like the stakes should be less important than, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame or, like, a Sports Hall of Fame because music is so subjective. Like, yeah, there's less stats to back up music. As somebody, you know as somebody who knows a lot of... Um, like classic rock traditional kind of elitists like in my personal yeah. life it's a it's a source of much frustration where people like people have to just accept this is just like this is a, a they they make money they're a place they want yeah. you to go and make money so they put in the people <laughs> yeah. continue bringing like because i i listened to legitimate conversations where people were upset this week because foreigner and like sticks aren't in but, but Jay-Z's like, getting in. And it's like, well, they want people to keep coming. You're not going to continue to draw customers in 15 years 
because a foreigner. I'm sorry that you like that, but... Also, Jay-Z works with Rick Rubin, who's more of a rock star than any member of Foreigner. Well, I mean, like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, you'll, like, you'll hear the argument that, you know, oh, it's not rock and roll, they should have, like, a rap hall of fame, too, there should be a hip-hop hall of fame, but that's no. that's sort of besides the point from, like, what they're doing there. You're giving this too much weight to be like, oh, this this Hollywood honor to be bestowed upon. And it's not that well, serious. Because rock and roll... Same thing with the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's not that serious. Well, also, rock and roll is kind of a vague term. Super vague Like, term. what does rock and roll mean? Super if, vague term. Would this even be a problem if we called it the Music Hall of Fame? Which is, again, an even broader term mm-hmm. than, like, Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame. Because I guess what you're talking about with rock mm-hmm. and roll is, like, popular music. The popular music Hall of Fame, right? You don't go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to see about, like, Beethoven, I suppose. Maybe there's a classical music. I don't know. I don't know where the dividing line... I just don't think you need to change it or divide it. Yeah, You know what I mean? If the people vote and the person means that much, they're just in, like, it's it's not that serious. And if you're that upset about Jay-Z or very noticeably all the other young black artists that get in there, if that's what you're upset Mm. about, if you ever drive to Cleveland to go to the museum, then walk by that exhibit. Because it's, like, it's just not that serious. Uh, total side note, I went to the, uh, the African American History Museum in D.C. when I was there last time. We went there on a field trip. And yeah. they have a music section in that in the museum. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. I bet. They have the Funkadelic Starship, which I oh, lost. <laughs> like, the full ship, you walk in, it's like, oh my oh, god, man. there it is, it's right there! It's like right next to Bootsy Collins' guitar. And you're like, That's so oh, funny. I almost oh, put man. Parliament on the playlist this week. <laughs> I ended up going for Zap instead. Zap! <laughs> George Clinton adjacent. Uh, let's do a nice uplifting story. Kevin, I need to know if you saw this story this week. Uh, a live stream of a virtual court proceeding in Texas took a surprising turn this week when a lawyer appeared on screen as a cat. Did you see, have you seen this? I did. It was amazing. <laughs> Judge Roy B. Ferguson of the 394th District Court addressed the cat in the virtual room. Uh, Mr. Pontoon, I believe you have a filter turned on in your video setting. My favorite part about this is the guy... The, the judge, this Mr. Pontoon, he was ready to go. He's like, I, I realize that I'm not a cat, but I do have all my stuff here in front of you, yeah, so I'm ready, business. I'm ready to go. Grow up, guys. <laughs> I grow up, guys. Grow up, guys. I like that he also said, I'm here, I'm not a cat. And then there was a pause, and the other guy in the line goes, yes, we know. <laughs> Which is just like... I can't even write this. Yeah, I tell you, these uh, these poor baby boomers out here just just trying to keep their head above water. Not only did he like know that he had been turned into a cat, he was ready to proceed mm. as a cat, which I find that should be the big energy award. For I, this respect week. Yeah, I respect it. One hundred percent. I mean, who? It's not. Yeah, these people should just grow up, grow up, and engage with me. Engage with the stuff. cat. I've got my facts. So what if I'm a big watery-eyed kitten on the Zoom screen? Uh, Grow up, guys. I guess this is the animal section of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Florida family this week said uh, they encountered a 16-foot, 4-inch, 300-pound Burmese python on their Mm. property on Sunday, uh, which sounds horrifying. And it got me thinking, what's the worst kind of thing you think you would walk into, like, in your yard? Burmese, well, I mean, do you mean, like, my yard? Not here here in Utica, right, but you know what I mean? Like Um, Burmese python, low on my list. I'm less concerned about that than many other things. Yes. Because the Burmese python isn't really going anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, I feel like the one that I, and this sounds outrageous because you would never see one anywhere, uh, the Komodo dragon. Mm. Like, if I, if I walked out on my front porch, there's a Komodo dragon on the front porch, I would be yeah. 
less than thrilled. Well, because Komodo dragon is coming after you. Yes, even like a big a big giant Burmese python isn't gonna like come at you the way even something like a cobra would. You know what I mean? Or even a rattlesnake. It's there and it's a problem, but like it's a, a deal withable yeah. problem. Um, I would not want to have to deal with an angry moose on my property. If I lived a little further in the north, moose are terrifying and can easily, easily murder you. I mean, the answer is probably like some sort of big cat. I'm trying to not to do that. It seems too obvious I mean, to be yeah, like, a tiger! Certainly, a tiger. certainly if mean? there was a lion in my house. Well, you know what, though? More than like a t- lion or tiger, a mountain lion would make me very upset. I'm not mm. a big fan of mountain lions. Like the idea of like being out in the woods and walking up into like a cougar. That would suck. Yes. I'm really not pleased about that at mm-hmm. all. That would be... Because look, at the lion or tiger, I feel like I would accept my fate. But like a mountain lion's going to make it worse. It's like, eh, you might kill me, but you might just rip but me apart. Might. You, yeah, you might. Me, yeah. yeah, that's going to be worse. You're going right? to have a very bad yeah. time. Uh, all right, let's do some quick... Uh, let's do a quick mailbag question, and then uh, I have... I have to go over all the songs this week on my on my playlist for various okay. reasons. We'll do over. a little extended song. Extended, break. yeah. Uh, do you want question one or question two? We'll do the other one next week. Uh, whichever, man. Uh, two. All right, question two. Is there a more overrated fast food item than the McRib? Who cares when it makes its annual return from wintering in Florida each year? This is a bad take, number one. The McRib is fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's... I wouldn't say it's... It's not bad. It's a little overrated, I think. But I think it depends on how you get it. We had this conversation off the air. Mm. You get a good McRib that somebody makes for you fresh, it's delicious. You get one that's got slapped together with all sorts of extra barbecue sauce falling out the side and it's a big mess, it's no good. So it's really reliant on presentation. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Overrated fast food item. I would say sticking with McDonald's, I would say a Big Mac. Oh, yeah, Big Mac's Big Mac garbage. is really terrible. Garbage. A terrible hammer. Absolute garbage. Uh, one of the worst. King, the king of the mountain in a, in a pile of garbage over there. I'm surprised you didn't just say all of KFC. You're a known KFC hater. Oh, cause it, oh yeah, because it's bad. Like, bad chicken they use. It's, like, terrible. It's everybody I know. I get it, guys. I, I, too, remember being a child and getting a bucket, and it was, like, delicious and really good, yeah. and they, the chicken was better back then. You're not just imagining it. But anytime I've seen it, like in the last eight years, anytime yeah, I've happened to come across it, the chicken is like is a joke. I you're you're better off going to like a nice gas station and having them fry you up chicken tenders. Yes, you're better off going yeah, to yeah. Walmart and having them make it and the fryers there for you. I'm uh, glad you know. I'm glad that I'm a known KFC hater. No, I like that. Known known KFC advocate. Me. No, I, it's funny though. I it's, I didn't even think about it until we, I looked at the question this week. Couple. Right during the holidays, we got KFC and sushi for the kids and the adults mm. for like a dinner. We didn't want to cook one night, right? I didn't. At first, you said we, and I'm like, I don't think that we did. No, me and my sisters. <laughs> so me and the adults got sushi, and the kids got KFC. Mm. And I went into the kitchen at one point in time and got a KFC like chicken strip. Mm-hmm. And my sister was appalled. She's like, we're eating sushi and you're eating. I'm like, I can eat both. Yeah, I'm like, they're delicious. And then, of course, Randall got up and went to the kitchen and got some too. And then me and Randall were both on the on the pro chicken side. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, it was not very good. No. Like, even at the time, like, I was doing it more as a, like, I'm going to. They really, I'll tell you what, they they take a whole new liberty with the term chicken strip. It's not a strip. <laughs> it, it's no, no, like a, no. It's literally just like a strip. It looks like you pulled it off the, of the chicken. chicken. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do. Uh, I've already taken longer than I wanted. Let's do. Um, let me do my six songs real quick. Okay. All right. One is certainly the Sufjan Stevens classic, Chicago, mm. because I'll be going to Chicago, and it's a great album. You should listen to it. The whole album 
uh, come on, feel the Illinois. What an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Great idea that never really came to came to fruition, like the idea of like doing an album for I'm every gonna state. I'm going to do 50 albums? 50 yeah. albums. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, two tracks on here specifically. Uh, Shadow by The Chromatics and mm-hmm. A Violent Yet Flammable Year by Au Revoir mm. Simone. Because I watched a really good Twin Peaks documentary this week and thought about these two artists who both appeared on the recent... Uh, I was listening to some Chromatics this week. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I like both these tracks. Very ethereal thinking about Twin Peaks this week, might rewatch it sometime when I get back. I don't know. The other two tracks this week are songs that I did not know were written by other people. Okay. The first one is Hard to Handle, not by the Black Crows, no. but by Otis Redding. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, classically, Otis Redding. Uh, this version is better, by the way. It's way shorter, and it's way more concise, and it hits real hard. Way less Chris Robinson. Way less Chris Robinson. Mm. And the other one, which confused me even more, is Manic Monday... By Prince, not by uh, the Bangles. Yeah. Historically, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Right around the same time that he wrote... Uh, everything. Yeah, yeah everything, everything for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so I have both of these versions on Otis Redding's Hard to Handle and Manic Monday by Prince. Mm. And last but not least, I have the song Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers. And we need to talk about this for a second. Oh, Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, about the ruffle some mustaches. Yeah, yeah, how about it? So earlier this week, uh, earlier last week, Phoebe Bridgers destroyed her guitar during a Saturday Night Live debut on February 6th. This led to classic rock goon David Crosby calling her out, calling it pathetic, and leading to a like lively debate on the internet between fans and David Crosby and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers about whether or not she should have destroyed her guitar on stage. Mm -hmm. To her response, when he called her pathetic, uh, Phoebe Bridgers' response was to tweet at him that he was a little bitch, which Mm. is hilarious. Uh, Here's David Crosby making a sanctimonious argument. Okay, ready? Guitars are for playing, making music, not stupidly bashing them on a fake monitor for childish stage drama. I really do not give a flying F if others have done it before. It's still stupid. David Crosby... Just, like, desperate <laughs> for attention. <laughs> what What is your take on this, Kev? You're a musician. What are your thoughts about the sanctity of your musical instrument? Now, I, I'm, I'll say this. I've seen chefs have this conversation. Like, that their, that their chef equipment is, like, important to them. They need to take, take care of it. Like You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you're not performing when you're a chef. Yeah. You're not doing a show. You're working with your tools. Just like it would be silly for a mechanic to smash their whatever tool mechanic uses, you know. Well, by that argument, that, is the guitar not the tool of the musician? Is that what David Crosby is arguing here incorrectly? No, I mean, that's gar- well, of course the guitar is the tool of the musician, but I mean, the difference is this is a performance, right? Like, you're performing. So that's why those two things are different. That's all I want to say about that part. Um, Crosby, listen, David Crosby sucks. Crosby, <laughs> Stills, and Nash sucks. Terrible. I get it. I understand that it was a different time. And yeah, they harmonized. They uh, played beautiful guitars. And they've got a bunch of lovely songs. And they were very important in a certain time in history. I don't need any of this garbage. I don't care about this guy. He's only mad because it's like a young girl. And he's trying to stay relevant and stay hot on Twitter. It's always one of those times. I can't tell you how many guys I've seen destroy instruments. So many. How many men I've seen destroy instruments on Saturday Night Live. I can't tell you how many over the years. Yeah. Tons and tons and tons. To pretend it's not just because it's her... Uh, is just stupid. So I don't care about him at all. Yeah, it was a terrible take. I'm I'm done. I've been done with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I'm just going to throw this out there. I've smashed a guitar before. Mm. Crummy little Hamer guitar. Remember that thing, the Slammer? Vaguely. Yeah. It's wicked fun. 
super uh super cathartic so <laughs> i don't well here and that's that's to say about that too like i'm not sitting here being like yeah smash the guitars like i certainly you know what i mean i'm not i'm not saying that i when i see people smash a guitar i'm like oh this is super cool like i saw her do it i'm like ah you know what i mean but it was a damn lecture those things don't break that's which made, is hilarious that's made of like like plastic, plastic you know yeah, what i mean that's not toy. gonna break like a piece of cheap wood um, and so, like, the whole thing, I get it. it I wish she had went a little harder. Like, really, Yo, get, some really moves, get that thing mm -hmm. up over her head and really get a little dangerous with it. Well, that's the key, right? You want it to be a little more dangerous. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, the monitor that she was hitting was fake, by the way. So people were complaining about, what about the poor monitor? Like, no one ever Whatever. gives you shit about the monitor. Like, you knew what a monitor <laughs> was before this <laughs> happened. Mark. Yeah. Uh, just well, SNL's monitor budget. <laughs> oh, no, SNL. What are they going to do? Uh, oh, my God. I'm getting so many. I'm, everyone wants a piece of me before this trip. I'm not ready. I, they just keep calling and go like, I "What? What un, else is to be said? What I'm else? still leaving I'm tomorrow. Still going. I'm still Yeah. What? Oh what? my god. What? And all right. And? Uh, thank you again to Luke Riddell. Great conversation. We appreciate him coming back to talk about this uh, this race and the recap. Shout out to Heather Waz. Wherever you are, whatever you're up to, we love you. Mm. Uh, you can follow us on the interwebs at Udicast. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Twitter, all those platforms, or you can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast. Uh, what am I forgetting? There's other ones. You know where they are. Uh, that's it. I will be out of town. Maybe next week's episode will be maybe a day-ish late, 12 hours late. You'll, you'll get it when you get it. You guys know. It's all fine. You guys know it's coming. Mm. Uh, that's it. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. We are desperately, desperately out of time, uh, and we will see you next week sometime next week when I get back from my long trip of prepping food and sitting in a car uh, it's going to be a lot of fun I can't wait oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it can't wait to see my fam and uh, that's it sign our humans we'll see you next week